Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. It is a Monday. It is October 23rd. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We've got Major League Baseball discussion. There's a Game 6 for the Arizona Diamondbacks this afternoon. There's a Game 7 in the ALCS. Game 7. Someone's very excited. We have Arizona Cardinals discussion. We have ASU football discussion. We have college football discussion. We have NFL discussion. We have your turn if you'd like to join the program at 1030 and 1115. The number is 602-260-1060. Once again, 602-260-1060. We'll take your phone calls 1030 and 1115. But first, let's get our number one started with our poll questions. And it's a must-win scenario here for the Arizona Diamondbacks if they'd like to see their season extended here. So do they win game six this afternoon at Philadelphia and the masses remain on the no side of things at 67% of the vote? Yes, trailing at 33%. As one might expect uh, with the Phillies playing at home where they've been unbelievable in the postseason, we read the numbers last week and uh, they haven't played a home game since then. But, uh, you know, their numbers are astounding since citizen bank uh, citizens bank park open now granted you know that was during the world series run of the the first decade of this century and roy holiday was pitching a lot of those games but the last two years with pretty much this team uh certainly the starting rotation uh the, the main two dudes uh with wheeler and nola they have the highest winning percentage if the, at least 10 games played in a ballpark have any team at home in major league history. Uh, so that's what the diamondbacks at least historically are dealing against, uh, dealing with the next two days. Uh, if there's a second day and hopefully uh, they win today and there's a second game, then there's a game seven tomorrow, another game seven. That would be great too. <laughs> the lots of fun things potentially on the horizon for major league baseball playoffs. So we'll see how that unfolds and we'll get into the diamondbacks here momentarily and specifically answer the question around 1130 tossing this on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. The Cardinals lost to the Seahawks yesterday, 20 to 10. They're now sitting at one in six on the season. Have you lost interest in the one win Arizona Cardinals? And this is flipped. No is now leading the way at 52.6% of the vote. Yes. Trailing at 47.4%. Yeah, well, that's a close vote. So that's kind of what I was curious. So this is more of a, well, I shouldn't say more, but just as much. Let's put it that way. Just as much, I'm just curious of whether people were still tuning in. It was hard. You had to be a diehard fan to watch that game yesterday. It was really, really difficult. Uh, you know, you know, basically, Matt from Phoenix you know, mentioned that you know he had uh, you know, an interest in that game. So did I. Uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, there's not a, not directly a financial interest, but I'm in a pool every week where we take, uh, we have to take 12 games, college or pro, et cetera. And one of our games, 
was the Seahawks minus seven and a half. So I was, you know, you know, watching for you know, professional purposes for the show. I was also watching for the, you know, the, the, the betting interest with that pool and uh, wasn't looking good. And then the incredibly, I think, stupid uh, fake punt uh, turned that around as far as the point spread is concerned and allowed uh, basically Seattle to get a free field goal and cover the number. And that number actually went up to nine uh, by kickoff yesterday in most worldwide locations. There was a tremendous amount of volume betting on uh, at least the betting line change. I assume that was based on you know, action that the sports books worldwide were taking on the Seahawks before that game. It went from seven and a half uh, Either Saturday night, I didn't really look early yesterday morning, but I looked about an hour before the game started, and it was hitting, hitting eight, eight and a half, and hit nine by kickoff. Well, speaking of that seven and a half number, our winner of the Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits Friday spread on Friday had actually taken Cardinals plus seven and a half for our weekend bet. So we fall to six and two now. Uh, so we'll look to get back on a winning streak this Friday uh, for the NFL and college weekend ahead. We'll get much more into the Cardinals NFL here later on in the program, but we have to start with the Arizona Diamondbacks as we began the show. Show. It's a must-win situation for the club this afternoon. The D-backs are down 3-2 in the series with it turning back to Philadelphia. So how did we get here, though? Game four was a bullpen game for the Diamondbacks. Eight pitchers for the D-backs were used with Joe Mont- Mantiply leading things off. The Diamondbacks got the scoring started early, chased Christopher Sanchez from his start. Phillies came back, took the lead. The Diamondbacks took advantage of the bottom of the seventh, and then in the eighth with Alec Thomas in a pinch hit situation, hitting a two-run home run to tie it up. Uh, the scoring continued with the top of the order rounding around, and it was a 6-5 to five win for the Diamondbacks in that game four. Yeah, a lot of bad relief pitching in this game, really by both teams, and I think the, the Diamondbacks have to wonder uh, if uh, they get to the situation today, does Saul Frank pitch again? I mean, his last two outings uh, in uh, Arizona, in uh, downtown Phoenix, were not good. Uh, he's had some good fortune. Remember, he was in the minor leagues like five weeks ago or you know, longer than that now. But uh, in, in August, he was in the minor leagues for a while. And then he just kind of came out of nowhere and, and made, you know, he did a good job. And, uh, but he's had some good fortune. He's had some hard hit outs and so forth. And that luck kind of ran out. He's walked the left-handed hitters, uh, unfortunately, that he's been brought into face in this series. Do you trust him pitching to Harper and Schwarber again? Might be uh, one of the big questions that Torrey Lavello has to answer today if the Diamondbacks are in position to win the game or try to hang in there if it's a close game. Yeah, to your point there, a lot of the times that it's been a lefty brought in to face a lefty situation, the Phillies hitters have gotten the better of that matchup, whether whether it's drawing a, a, a walk or getting a hit. And you just kind of at some point have to tip your hat to just how good they are at the plate. Yeah, and I think another thing that happened, uh, on yeah, when was the last game? I get my days mixed up, Saturday. Uh, the fact that, you know, that Brandon Stott had some really good at bats and a couple of hits. He's not been particularly good at the plate during the off during the uh, postseason, I should say, but I think the Phillies have to be feeling pretty good about his performance and maybe that, uh, he'll turn it around and he's been a good hitter for the lot of de- decent chunk of the season. 
not the best during the postseason and really had some bad looking at bats. There's difference between you. That's why you need to watch the game sometimes too, uh, is just looking at numbers and actually watching the at bats themselves. Uh, you know, he basically, you know, he, he's had some feeble looking swings, uh, but uh, the last day you of know, the really the uh, even a little bit in game five, he got a couple of you know, looked more like himself, quote unquote. And then on Saturday, I'm sure that the Phillies were really pleased with what they saw of him at the plate. Uh, game five. It turned back to the aces for each club. Zach Wheeler for the Phillies, Zach Gallen for the Diamondbacks. It is a small sample size in the postseason for Gallen at this point, uh, but he has an above 13 ERA in the first inning and a 2.60 ERA in all other innings that he's uh, faced so far in the postseason. The wheels certainly fell off in the sixth, though, when Schwarber hit a no-doubt 461-foot home run. Harper followed it up with a 444-foot home run run in the end six to one victory for the Phillies I'm just gonna go back to what I said last week and why you know I think the Phillies are just a better team for many reasons but uh you know certainly they have a more potent offense but if you take a look at these two pitching staffs whether it be starters or relievers the Phillies have a lot of guys that are you know high velocity pitchers you know Nola's kind of uh he throws some high velocity but he's also got a when he's on he has a magnificent curveball but they have when you have high velocity and get swing and miss, there's a much large there, there, there's there's more of a margin for error for those pitchers, whether it be in this series or any series when you have that situation. The Diamondbacks have very few guys that can just rear back and throw a pitch. And in fact, I'm not sure they have anybody on their roster right now that can actually do that, except for maybe Ginkle uh, in the uh, mostly the eighth inning for him. But when you have a swing and miss, guys, that gives you more margin for error. And I think the Diamondbacks have much margin for error. Really, and quite frankly, anything in this series, they have to, you know, to win games. And as I mentioned earlier in the pipeline, uh, they've, they've scored a grand total of 10 runs in this series. And they've somehow won two games. Uh, to your point about swing and miss, Zach Wheeler in that contest had eight strikeouts. All in all, the Diamondbacks struck out 11 times on the night. So talking about swinging and missing. When it comes to game six here, there's been so much made about Philadelphia and the home field advantage. So I don't know if we really need to touch on that anymore. We know it's a raucous place to play. It's a must-win situation. Merrill Kelly is getting the ball for the Diamondbacks. He's one and one with a three ERA, 11 strikeouts in the postseason season going up against Aaron Nola 3-0 0.96 ERA 19 strikeouts and just been absolutely tremendous at home when Merrill st was the starting pitcher though in the 10-0 game two loss in Philadelphia uh, it looks really bad if you just look at the number 10-0 but I don't think he pitched that bad uh, and Agreed. a lot of it wasn't his his quote-unquote fault for the the runs uh, getting away from them well, you gave up three runs. I think those are pretty much him. But I mean, he was okay. You know, he gave them a chance to win. He gave up you know four runs overall. But you know, the fourth run score after he left the game and the, the bullpen kind of blew up in that game. That just didn't work out, and he got killed in that game. But uh, you know, I think we can kind of throw that game out. Also, I think that uh, as I mentioned, for many years. Uh, I rarely put much factor into home field in the postseason, and I know that they have this incredible postseason winning percentage. Also, I don't have the breakdown. 
But I would imagine that the large number of games that the Phillies have won at home in the postseason in Citizens Bank Park since the early part of this century. Roy Holiday used to start a lot of those games. Cole Hamill started a lot of those games in their first championship run. And it's amazing the last two years how it's just kind of worked out, uh, especially in this series because they took care of business against Atlanta, that you got Wheeler and Nola pitching all these home games. <laughs> that, that, that increases your chances of winning. What has been most surprising to you, if you can name most surprising, about the Arizona Diamondbacks so far? Christian Walker struggles at, struggles at the plate, or when Corbin Carroll does get on base, not running, not being aggressive? I'm going to kind of bypass both of those. And uh, Corbin Carroll's not been good since early, really since he hit the home run in the first inning against the Dodgers. Uh, he, he has really struggled. Uh, I believe he's three for his last 26 since he hit that home run somewhere in that ballpark uh, when he hit the ball out of the ballpark against the Dodgers. And uh, it's uh, I think he's, he's, and he's had some bad looking at bats. I was talking about Stott. Uh, he's had, including the end of the game on Saturday, uh, when he had the final out, he had no chance in that at bat. Uh, so that surprised me more than anything so far. Game number six, 2.07 p.m. on TBS this afternoon. The late game is a game seven between the Rangers and the Astros. We'll go back to game six from last night, discuss game seven as well on the other side of the break. As a reminder, your phone calls today around 10.30 and 11.15, whether it's the Major League Baseball playoffs, the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals, ASU, college football, plenty to react to from the weekend. We'll take your calls around 10.30. 30 and 11 15 602 260 1060 is the number but on the other side of the break we'll go back to game six with the rangers getting a victory to push it to a game seven which is tonight at 503 p.m on fox for the alcs championship game to punch the ticket to the world series it is the extra point here on kdos am 1060 back after this KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa. Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open the KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. October 23rd. Bob Cam, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Some more Major League Baseball playoff discussion here. Game six between the Rangers and the Astros. Yet again, the Astros don't win at home. It was a 9-2 win for the Rangers that was absolutely cemented by Garcia's grand slam in the ninth inning. Uh, Nathan Ovaldi, he struggled a bit there in the first inning, but kept it to just one run. And then, I don't know if settled in is the right word, but he certainly found ways to execute the rest of the way. Six and a third innings, five hits, two runs, three walks, four strikeouts for him. Him. His counterpart, Framber Valdez, five innings, five hits, three runs, two walks, six strikeouts, and two home runs. He was actually better than he had been, but he, you know, we've been pointing this out for weeks on this show that he just doesn't look like the same pitcher to me. And uh, we'll see if he has some kind of offseason 
you know injury update after the season's over. But you mentioned uh, that first inning. It was 25 pitches, and the fact that Evaldi got through that without only only gave up the one run, and uh, he battled his way <laughs> through the rest of the way for him, uh, only allowing a couple of runs. So that's good uh, for him and them. And uh, he's now 9-1 and one in his postseason start. Or I should rephrase that. His teams are now 9-1 and one in his postseason starts, whether they be with Boston or Texas. Uh, so his uh, you know, success level has been unbelievable. And the game that he's actually most famous for is probably the one game that he lost when they had the 18-inning game when he was with the Red Sox against the Dodgers. That's the game that he lost, but – Basically, he set the Red Sox up with his performance in that game and going so long into the uh, extra innings that he set up their pitching staff for the rest of the series to win the series. So that that's the one loss. Um, I think the thing in the ninth inning, the, you mentioned the Garcia Grand Slam, that allowed Bruce Bochy to not have to pitch Jose LeClerc in the ninth inning after he had already pitched in the eighth. So LeClerc will be, quote, more fresh today. Uh, going to that game, uh, and uh, if you're into the trend things and uh, so forth, uh, you know a lot of history here. The uh, Rangers were past tense one and eight all time in elimination games, including five straight losses before that game on Sunday. And uh, Texas also now seven and zero on the road this postseason. And then you mentioned the Astros road issue, or excuse me, home issues, which I've talked about for you know a couple months. Uh, they've now lost 21 of their last 31 home games going back to the regular season. Can something like this just become mental uh, that, you know, the narrative is kind of out there. You see the number of losses that you're starting to, to rack up at home, that it just is like inside your head and you can't get out of it. I definitely think so. I mean, you know, even though they did have the, the World Series that they played against the uh, Nationals a few years ago, the, the road team won almost every game of that series, or pretty close to every game of that series. Uh, so it's been uh, – it hasn't like they've uh, – they haven't had the uh, winning percentage that, say, the Phillies have had at home in this ballpark in Philadelphia. Uh, but it, I think it's something to it. They've certainly been plenty of talk, including from the Astros, about this batter's eye thing. Uh, in center field, obviously. And uh, they've changed that a little bit in the last month, but it doesn't seem to have made a difference. And if you just look at their home and road splits, I mean, it's insane how much better they are offensively in almost, if not every category on the road as opposed to home. So tonight in the game seven, it's a 5.03 p.m. first pitch on Fox, and uh, the Rangers are putting up Max Scherzer, who in his first start back in the postseason after uh, going on the injured list, uh, it it wasn't overall great. 11.25 ERA, ERA for him, four strikeouts, and he's going up against Christian Javier, who's 2-0 with a 1.69 ERA and 12 strikeouts. I actually thought Scherzer threw the ball pretty well in that game. You know, he hadn't pitched since September the 9th. Uh, so, you know, I thought they, they did okay. I mean, the, the earn run average when you pitch four or five, what do you pitch, four innings? I mean, you give up a couple of runs and throw one bad pitch, you're going to be screwed for a while as far as ERA goes. That's why I pay almost zero attention to earn run averages in the postseason unless you're somehow pitching like 20 innings or more. Then I might start paying attention. Uh, so that doesn't really do much. I don't really care. Uh, but as far as, you know, Javier has been very successful last year in the postseason. 
this year in the postseason. And he's been good, but you know, the Astros, I also think this, you know, the Abreu, we assume that Abreu's appeal uh, to be able to pitch tonight is going to be denied uh, before the game starts. And that, I think, makes a huge difference for Dusty Baker and his bullpen. What does he do? Uh, as far as, you know, Santana's not going to pitch nine innings. Uh, I don't know if he's ever pitched a complete game before. He's had two no-hitters in his career as a starter, and he's not pitched into either game deep, including one in the World Series, of course, last year, uh, the postseason. I'm not sure if that was even a World Series game, but postseason. He doesn't pitch deep. He throws a lot of pitches. Now, the good news is that he only he, he, he was much, his command was much better. He didn't walk guys in the last start. Remember that start in Minnesota where he somehow made it through five innings. He only gave up one hit, but he walked five or six guys. So he's not going to pitch deep into the game. So how's Baker manage the last? To, you know, obviously, the, maybe Presley pitches the eighth and the ninth inning. It's the game-clinching series, a game of the series, so I assume that would happen. But how does he try to negotiate, say, if Javier doesn't get through five, if he doesn't get through six, who pitches those innings until Presley gets the ball? Uh, got a question for you about starting Scherzer here. You know, obviously you make the trade for him to think ahead to these types of situations. No one could foresee injuries, et cetera, leading us to this particular point. But with all of that in mind, would you go ahead and start Scherzer in this situation? And would you, uh, you know, allow him to go through an order one, two times? Would you allow him to see a hitter three times? There's no way he's going to pitch that long just because his arm strength isn't built up enough. Um, and I would be surprised if he actually went through a lineup twice. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. The problem also for the Rangers is you know they don't have the bullpen that really can go bullpen, a bullpen game. And the fact that they used Heaney last night and the fact that John Gray pitched earlier in this series, and he hadn't pitched in basically two, three weeks until this series because he injured, he uh, he injured the ended the season also on in the injured list. That was a guy that if he's in you know regular season form, uh, he would be another option not just to start tonight, but pitch to, you know the bulk innings if it's if it's, it was an opener. So it's a. Uh, You've got an interesting, uh, you know, Bruce Bochy is the master of uh, bullpens and uh, has been in his whole career in the postseason. I know that he gets a lot of, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, obviously Madison Bumgarner gets a ton, ton of attention and, and, uh, and you, know, you know, Lincecum and you know, Matt Cain and so forth. But, you know, the, one of the biggest reasons, if not the second biggest reason, that the Giants won championships is because, you know, Bochy just, just he did a tremendous job managing his bullpen in those years. Uh, so I think he's uh, up to, uh, that's going to be interesting to see how he deals with that tonight. And uh, Dusty Baker, quite frankly, does not have a good history of managing his bullpen in deciding games. So do you have a prediction for game seven or are you just excited to watch it? I'm not going to do anything. I've been on two games. I've only been on two postseason postseason games this whole series. The first time was when Santana did pitch. I mean, uh, you know, when uh, you know when uh, you know, basically we saw this matchup. Javier, before. yeah, you know, Javier against Scherzer. That was the first game, and I bet on Saturday night because excuse me, last night because Valdez was pitching, and I've been going against him when possible. 
uh, during the regular season, and I uh, just kind of carried that over to yesterday. So I'm, I'm not going to do anything tonight. I can't imagine an in-game scenario where I get involved at that point. I'm just going to – I hope they play like 10 innings and it's the greatest game ever played, kind of like Friday, which was one of the greatest days in baseball history, in my opinion, uh, with the rally that with the Altuve home run, obviously, and then the Diamondbacks – you know, rallying to win that second game on Friday. That was uh, seven hours of, of that. I think I mentioned this in the air of the first. Uh, I know I mentioned a few friends here the last couple of days, but that was uh, seven. That was the best seven day, seven hours of baseball uh, in seven days of sport. Seven hours. I get this right. Seven hours of sports in 2023 for me. That was just unbelievable. From like two o'clock. Uh, Friday afternoon to like 7.30 or 8, whenever that Diamondbacks and Phillies game ended. Yeah, absolutely. After the, the Diamondbacks game ended there on Friday, I think my sentiment was, man, I love sports. <laughs> yeah, and uh, after being highly disappointed in the first two rounds of the playoffs, wondering if we're ever going to have a, you know, drama, some drama or, God forbid, a you know, game decide, you know, a series deciding game seven in this case. Uh, so thank God <laughs> there's at least one and hopefully there'll be two. And also it made me go down this path of like, what is the best championship playoff sport? Like, is this it is actually it. baseball? Like, I, I think I'm yeah. actually on that side of things. Has been for many years. Unfortunately, I think sounded like an idiot the first two rounds of the playoffs, but hopefully I've been uh, vindicated. <laughs> Friday and hopefully today and tomorrow. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. Hey, if you disagree that baseball is not the best form of championship caliber play, let us know. Your caddy, Ray Adams, takes you beyond the 18th hole on Saturday mornings with Great American Golf from 6 to 7 a.m. on KDUS AM 1060. Right here on KDOS AM 1060. It is the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Talking a little Major League Baseball playoff action gets underway. Game six of the NLCS between the Diamondbacks and the Phillies, 2.07 p.m. on TBS, followed by game seven of the ALCS, the Astros and the Rangers. That's at 5.07 p.m. on Fox. But as promised, popping on out to the KDOS hotline for phone call time, 602-260-1060 is the number. Alan Phoenix, what's on your mind? Hey, uh, Kayla and Bob. Um, I was talking a little bit about uh, baseball, but I want to ask a question. Who do you think is a more, more fraudulent, James Franklin or Lincoln Riley? Uh, I wouldn't say fraudulent. Um, you know, I don't really know. Um, do you, well, I, Franklin, I'm not sure what I think of Franklin at this point, but, you know, He's done a really good job at Penn State. I mean, it wasn't exactly the program that was in the best of shape when he took over, but the fact that they can't get over the hump against Ohio State and Michigan, uh, just occasionally, uh, it's got to be uh, disturbing uh, for uh, Penn State fans. Um, as far as Lincoln Riley goes, I've never quite bought in there. So <laughs> it's pretty much what I thought he was at Oklahoma. 
I think it's just kind of a, he's more of an offensive court. I've said that I said this when he was at OU. Uh, I think he's more of a coordinator than he is a head coach, quite frankly. And the fact that he keeps taking uh, taking Alex Grinch, Alex Grinch with him wherever he goes at this point, and Alex Grinch was basically fired at Ohio State, and that was, you know, was that kind of started their defensive slide at Ohio State when he was the defensive coordinator there for a year. Uh, they uh, you know seemingly have not really recovered from that until maybe now at Ohio State, and that was five six and- years ago. And this Alice Grinch defense is terrible. At, at yeah, now I, now I wonder how many good players they have too. Um, yeah, I don't know yeah. how much. You know, they've got a few athletes there, but yeah, you know, we you know they brought in some transfers because they just haven't had a very deep pool of players, and some of the transfers I don't think have lived up to the hype, uh, including Gentry, who played at ASU, uh, who has unfortunately been hurt quite a bit the last two years, but. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, you know they're they're an underachieving bunch, but I think the biggest problem for USC is their offensive line, which was a question mark before the season started, has been not good. And uh, they played two teams the last two weeks that have really good defensive fronts in Utah and Notre Dame, and they've gotten their ass kicked at the line of scrimmage in those two games. And then uh, you know you were talking about uh, the the uh, that Astros uh, Washington series. And you're right. No, neither team won at uh, won at home. They all every, every okay. game was won on the road. Okay. And uh, it's in, interesting. Bochi has never managed a game seven loss, and Dusty Baker has never managed a game seven win. So that's well, what, if you're I, trying to I, read the team. Dust, Dust, Dusty's also lost a couple game fives. <laughs> so yeah, um, he has. yeah, I remember one specifically when he was with the Reds and. Uh, yeah, the Reds yeah, uh, had a – actually, well, they beat, they lost to Bochy in game five oh, that year. That's right. Um, in, fact, they, in fact, they lost games three, four, and five that year because the Reds won the first two games at Cincinnati, or, uh, San Francisco and didn't win a game the rest of the series. And a lot of that was mismanaging by Dusty Baker, quite frankly. And, and lastly, do you think Bob Melvin's going to become the manager of the Giants? It looks like it's pretty close to a done deal. I asked Zach Kreiser about that in the last hour. Uh, the fact that he received permission from the Padres to interview for the Giants job, and we talked about this possibility, what, two, three weeks ago uh, when uh, Kapler was uh, you know, told to see you later, you're not coming back in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. And it makes a lot of sense because there was, there was talk throughout uh, September that uh, you know, basically the higher ups and maybe even the ownership with the Padres thought that their issues this year were more of a Melvin thing than it was the higher ups and the decision makers and ownership, etc. So that made uh, that there were there was some unrest there, and the fact that uh, you know, you know for, for anxiety and, and Bob Melvin worked together in Oakland. When uh, you know Zaidi was the, I guess the assistant general manager or whatever his title was there, uh, when the, you, know, you know Billy Bean is, you know, I guess still kind of, sort of, at least in charge to some extent, but whatever they had a relationship there and that obviously worked out really well, and uh, it made perfect sense as I mentioned and we talked about this or at least I brought it up for the first time, you know, right at the end of the regular season. In fact, uh, you know, that, that Monday after the regular season ended. 
uh, because it was a Friday when Kapler was relieved of his duties for, to come back for next year. Uh, so this this makes way too much sense. And obviously Melvin played for the Giants, Bay Area. He's beloved in the Bay Area for many reasons, including fit. his time with the A's. And it, it makes way too much sense. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, Bob. Kayla, appreciate it. No problem. 602-260-1060 is the number. Continuing with phone calls, we'll go to Bill in surprise. What's on your mind today, Bill? Well, I was wrong about the D-backs. It was a very exciting game, uh, especially, you know, Friday was just awesome. Uh, yeah. You know, they just kept coming back and kept fighting. They, they looked like a completely different team. And um keep my fingers crossed today and see what happens. Uh you know what I and I do agree with you that as far as playoff sports baseball, there's nothing to compare with. And the reason I believe that part of it is the officiating. When these guys miss something, it's just minuscule. I mean, they got a, the, the home plate umpire's got to call balls and strikes. The ball's moving 100 miles an hour. I mean, I just think these guys are amazing compared to other you know playoff sports where you don't know what these officials are doing. Like it, sometimes, yeah. like hockey. Well, they're letting them play. Uh, you know, football, uh, a, a blatant call, and you look. You know, the officials looking right at it. He doesn't call it. I mean, you know, that's why baseball. Okay, well, it really is the greatest sport. Well, I think it is in the postseason. I think it is pretty much all season to me. But I grew up in a you know, baseball household. My mother played competitive softball, and back in the day, and my dad was a baseball player semi-pro and played pretty high level of softball so i grew up around it from like day one so maybe i'm the wrong person to judge this but i do think that more times than not in the postseason uh the level of play is uh at a much higher level than we see in other sports whether it be college or pro yeah yeah i agree did you play football when you were in high school no i did not that was, you know, I was a smart guy. I'm not gonna get hurt. Give me a break. I, I, I don't <laughs> like being, I don't like, I don't like being hit. So <laughs> I wouldn't go well, do yeah, that. I played, yeah. I played football for like, you know, you know, rinky-dink football when I was a kid. And this is, what am I doing here? And they had me play but, center too. And then I played some tight end, and it's not exactly. I was, you know, I was like 12 years old. I'm thinking this is not a good idea. So let me just play well, some a, baseball. Yeah, that was the thing in high school. I mean, you know, you practice every day to play. You know, what did you get to play? 20 minutes uh, on, on Saturday. If you, and it, that's if you got to play. You know, uh, that's true. And I wasn't good. I wasn't good enough to. Different. Yeah, yeah you know? that's true. And I, yeah, you know, I gave basketball a shot, but I wasn't nearly as good enough. I couldn't play. Yeah, you know, I was okay, but I wasn't gonna do anything that was any good so anyway i grew up in a baseball household so that's kind of the yeah, way it's me, been me too same thing yeah yeah i loved it played it and then softball as i got older you know so yeah i loved it yeah but it's still yep, you know me it's, too. it's a hard game for, for, the, for the umps and i still i think they do a phenomenal job i mean when they miss you can I actually you yeah, not knock on knock on knock on countertop here but uh there have been very few calls this baseball postseason that have been subject to controversy I think the one right. thing that I'm a little confused about is this Abreu suspension thing, and I, you know, I understand that it's been a small time frame from Friday to now, and the fact that Dusty Baker really didn't know yesterday whether Abreu would be available today, I think altered the way that he structured his bullpen yesterday, and I'm guessing that Abreu will not be available today, 
uh, to pitch for them, yeah. and he's been a, a, the best relief pitcher in baseball for two months. So this is a big deal. Yeah. It is. That is a big deal. But that's you can't blame that on the umpires. I mean, that's that's baseball management that's doing that. I mean, that's true. Know, even. Right? Even though I really didn't think he should have been ejected, I mean, uh, it's a lot of intent things there. You know, I understand. You know, if, obviously Garcia just, you know, he did uh, his dance and, you know, it, it, it was like a, you know, basically around the bases dance, dance, including when he stepped on home plate. I can understand why there'd be some anger there, but I can't say for sure in my mind that uh, Breu didn't uh, just you know, lose some location. It wasn't the first pitch, by the way, that he threw right. uh, in that at bat. That was the second pitch. So if you're going to drill somebody, aren't you going to drill them on the first pitch? Uh, so that's well, my argument. If I'm at... it. No, no, it'll be the third pitch. Well, that's a good point, too. But I don't know if you have that much of a thought process going on at that point either. But uh you know, if I'm the, if that's my argument for the Houston side, if you were gonna just gonna nail them immediately, you would have nailed them with the first pitch. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, Bill. Hope, Thank you. Appreciate yeah, absolutely. Six zero two two sixty ten sixty is the number. Next phone call opportunity is at eleven fifteen, and uh, we'll certainly take more phone calls there. And as Bill was alluding to, hopefully it's a fun day today with the Diamondbacks getting things started against the Phillies at two o seven p.m. and the ALCS at five o seven p.m. You know, Bob, you had mentioned that you uh, you played some football before you got into the very serious yeah. tackling in high school. But how about this? So. Uh, there's there's something that we could practice to get ourselves ready for. Flag football is coming to the Olympics. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not a good enough athlete. Even in my alleged heyday, that was uh, wouldn't be happening there. That's okay. I mean, I guess. I mean, it's uh, you know the NFL's thrilled about this. You know, they've you know, kind of uh, you know tries to, uh, they're trying to do you know enhance the game globally. Is that a word? Yes. I'm going to use that word. Okay, all right. I got it right, I think. Uh, but anyway, that's, uh, you know, so they're thrilled about this whole thing. And uh, we'll see who actually plays it. I guess Gronk wants to play in it. Well, good luck. You know, you know, I don't know if that's a good idea or not for Gronk, quite frankly. But whatever. We'll see who plays and so forth. But like I said, the NFL's you know, they're pretty excited about it. And they've done a lot of things for flag football and you know, women's flag football, etc. So, yeah, congratulations. I'm not going to watch it, but I hardly watch any Olympic stuff anymore anyway. Yeah, some flag football. I was hoping that we could get out there, practice. You know, I could be the quarterback. You can be. You mentioned you were tight end. You could be the tight end. We could have some fun. But I, I looked like three, three like for ten reps as a tight end. I said, this is ridiculous. <laughs> we'll get into some college football next. Have you downloaded the KDUS AM 1060 skill for Alexa yet? Food. Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is mail, chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. Wrapping up hour number one on this Monday, October 23rd. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. So, UW, 
topped ASU 15-7, to but uh, UW was trailing for most of the game here. Uh, not looking too good from Michael Penix, Penix with 27-42, 275 yards, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. The team also had three fumbles. They lost two of them. Only 13 team rushing yards for the Huskies uh, after having a much better rushing performance against Oregon in the week before victory for them. Uh, But things turned on a dime for uh, ASU when Trenton Bourget threw a pick six to Powell. He rushed back 89 yards in the fourth quarter, and then uh, UW was able to tack on an extra field goal after that. Trenton Bourget, 26 of 47, 196 yards and one interception. UW stays undefeated. ASU goes to 1-6 and six and 0-4 and in Pac-12 play. I don't quite understand what Dillingham was doing uh, with the 4th and 3 call. I mean, tried to, you know, he missed a couple of field goals or one field goal uh, before that. But you got a chance to add points. I think it was a weekend in college and pro football that I could never remember to the extreme uh, or to the, the level. Extreme depends on your viewpoint here. Uh, coaches just not taking points. I mean, it was more analytics than I've ever seen before in one weekend, especially Saturday in college football. And uh, this was an example. I mean, you know, Washington did not score a touchdown in this game, and that turned out to be the only touchdown that they scored the entire game. Uh, and uh, you know, I was also a little shocked that Washington didn't try to run the ball, try to run the ball more. Uh, they just kind of gave up, and uh, obviously Penix was not having his best day. And I was really surprised about this game because, as I mentioned on Friday, uh, Penix talked about in June. I had a quote from June that of all the games on the schedule this season, he was most looking forward to playing ASU because of what happened last year here when ASU beat Washington and Penix got beat up and had to leave that game briefly. He ended up fin- coming back and finishing it, but – uh, so uh, I was stunned at uh, the actual result. But that play call, uh, Borgay, tough dude. I mean, he took a lot of shots in that game, but he's not a good quarterback. Uh, he missed at least two wide-open receivers for touchdowns in this game uh, that obviously made a huge difference. And also, as unfortunately, as usual, the Pac-12 officiating for the last 100 years, uh, that should have been a pass interference penalty on Washington, the very play before the pick six. Uh, you know, I thought that it was possible that there could be a little bit of a hangover for, for Washington coming down off of that high of beating Oregon, the euphoria of that, maintaining your undefeated status. I just didn't think it was going to go this poorly on offense for them, especially with, you know, we had talked about it on Friday, just the offensive numbers for this team and, you know, just how exceptional their wide receivers are and uh, being able to take advantage of, you know, some of ASU's uh, defensive struggles. I actually think ASU's got a pretty good defense. Uh, I've mentioned this throughout the majority of the season. They've got some good athletes on defense. They've got a couple of pass rushers. Uh, they definitely have a couple of defensive backs, and uh, you know, Torrance got his. You know, they finally intercepted a pass. That's the first interception they've had the entire season, which is hard to believe. Is uh, they ha- they have some. They you know, they don't have very many of them, unfortunately, and hopefully that will change. But they've got like seven or eight guys on both sides of the ball that are playmakers. I uh, wish they had a running back that could actually gain some yards occasionally. Uh, the you know, Scadaboo is uh, more of a receiver 
uh, punter. <laughs> She's punted a couple times this year. Uh, but, you know, they don't have that. But they do have a couple of wide receivers and a tight end that can make some plays. Uh, so that uh, – but I was really st- – I was very surprised because I thought that Washington would just take care of business. And I'm, I'll necessarily, I'm not buying into the fact that I should be encouraged about ASU for the rest of the season, uh, which I heard all day in the last – well, really since Saturday night in several places. Uh, even a couple of places I wasn't even planning on hearing that. I'll really get into that in detail. But anyway, I'm not quite buying that. I just think that uh, how many games does ASU win the rest of the season, which I've kind of been talking about since September. Over in the big game that got the weekend started, Ohio State and Penn State, Ohio State 20, Penn State 12. James, James Franklin falls to 1-9 against Ohio State. Drew Alar, 18-42, 191 yards, one touchdown. He was also sacked four times. Penn State was just 1-16 of 16 on third down. Conversely, Kyle McCord, 22-35, of 35, 286 yards and one touchdown. But goodness gracious, it's the Marvin Harrison Jr. show, right? 11 catches, 160. 62 yards and a touchdown and uh, he now has five games with at least 160 yards receiving which passes David Boston who had four yes ex-cardinal David Boston who basically was told to leave Ohio State at the end of the 1998 season because they didn't want him around anymore and he ended up being a cardinal for a while Uh, but Ohio State's defense four sacks eight tackles for loss and those are two areas they haven't been that good at this year uh, but they certainly overwhelm the Penn State overrated offensive line. And Ohio State wins this game without three of their five or six best players. Henderson, Abuka, and Burke, uh, none of them played. And they were still able to win the game. And uh, really, uh, you, you wondered if they were ever going to score a touchdown themselves. Uh, but uh, they finally got uh, you know the, a couple of touchdowns, one at the end of the first half and then the second one. Uh, with Harrison in the last four or five minutes of the game. We will get into our number two NFL discussion as we get things started with the Arizona Cardinals up in Seattle. It is the Extra Point. Extra Point. 